Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Evenings at 6.30 on Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm very excited about the day. It's beautiful out. The sun is shining here in the Twin Cities. Welcome to everyone who's listening, and thank you for tuning in. We have a really lovely show. Rob Bluey, my guest, is going to be coming on in just uh, about a minute. He is, you know, the executive editor of The Daily Signal. He's my Washington, D.C. correspondent, and he was just with the vice president last week. How cool is that? So that's going to be coming up in just a couple of minutes. And then Steve Russo is going to be joining me. Do you know that last year uh, we spent in the U.S. $9 billion on Halloween? And uh, what should we be thinking about Halloween? Steve has uh, written a book on the evil that exists. We're going to chat with him. And then hour two is going to be Julianne Cusick. She's an amazing uh, woman with a great story. I'm in uh, the 14th, 18th uh, Psalm. And it says, he drew, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I delight in you. Let's take 60 seconds and bring on Rob. I'm Neil Stavum, manager of Faith Radio. It's harvest time and a good opportunity to review the growing season. And here at Faith Radio, we've experienced an abundance of growth in just the past few months, including the addition of four new FM signals and increased use of our app and podcasts. Now, all of these means of communicating the gospel have been made possible by gifts and support for this ministry. If you've invested financially in Faith Radio this past year, thanks. And if you've yet to join our support team, you can make a gift today at MyFaithRadio.com. There's power when coming together, when hearts and minds are joined behind a common cause, a common passion, a common hope. There's a spirit that takes flight and moves you to action in ways you just couldn't move by yourself. That's why every baseball team still playing wants the home field advantage the crowd will give them. Why worshiping together moves you in ways solitude can't. And why listening to faith radio and gleaning from the insights and experiences of a community truly connects faith to life. Faith Radio. Welcome to Tuesday. You know I love talking to Rob Bluey. Today's the day. Tuesday is the day I get to start my show with Rob. He is the executive editor of the Daily Signal. You know that website because you go there all the time, dailysignal.com. Rob, welcome to the show. It's good to be back, Bill. Thanks Thanks. for having me. Thank you. Now, last time we chatted, you were putting on your tuxedo to uh, see Vice President Mike Pence speak. 
That's right. We had an incredibly successful event last week. As, as, I, as we discussed, we started the day with Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, and ended it with the Vice President. Uh, he gave a tremendous speech, covered a, a lot of ground. Uh, you know, as suspected, uh, he talked about the accomplishments of the Trump administration, as you would uh, naturally have him do. But he also talked about a lot of the foreign policy challenges that we face and some of the big things um, that have been going on. Of course, he had just made the trip to Turkey and uh, negotiated a ceasefire, so that was fresh on his mind. And I think, you know, the thing that I love about uh, the vice president is he he's such a, a moral man, a, a good guy, Christian values, and uh, he, he's just, you know, <laughs> an all-around champion of the things that uh, that I think Christians and, and conservatives believe, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, pro-life or uh, believing in the family and the importance of uh, the role it plays in our society. And so to have him speak to 1,500 uh, supporters of the Heritage Foundation was a real honor and treat. Yeah, he's got a very calming presence. Um, I, I like his delivery style. Did he say anything that kind of felt like new information to you? Well, I mean, the the big news coming out of it was uh, was what was transpiring in the Middle East last week. So, of course, uh, you know, being uh, Syria, being uh, front and center in the of news, course. and of course, here it is, you know, for a different reason, being in the in the news with. Uh, uh, you know the death of the ISIS leader. Um, you know that that is uh, a part of the world where where he did uh, generate some headlines, and that was uh, typically where you saw the, the most of the mainstream coverage uh, go in, in the wake of it. Uh, he very briefly touched on impeachment toward the end of his speech, uh, but more so as a as just a, a passing glance that the Democrats were. Uh, not following a, a fair process and weren't giving the, the president, uh, you know, uh, a fair opportunity to to really, uh, you know, examine the evidence and, and have a say in terms of uh, what witnesses were, were testifying and things of that nature. So uh, it wasn't really as, as big of a, a political speech in terms of attacking Democrats. It was really about celebrating the good news that I think he's very proud of as vice president. Mm-hmm. Did you find yourself scratching your full head of hair about uh, how the media treated the death of uh, um, the Syrian ISIS leader? Oh, absolutely. Oh, My good. hometown paper, Washington <laughs> Post, I mean, uh, leading the way, uh, the austere religious scholar yeah. they, they referred to him yeah. as. Uh, it was, and by the way, Bill, it didn't get much better in the next day's paper. That was, that was the Sunday headline. The Monday headline was, uh, you know, not a whole lot, a whole lot better. Uh, you know, it spans uh, the six columns of the, of the paper, and uh, you know, really cast, uh, you know, I, I think doubt on some of the president's, uh, you know, comments. And and we went back and we actually looked and, and to see how they treated Obama when he had a major accomplishment, whether it was killing Bin Laden or you know, striking his own agreement with Syria. I mean, it was a completely different spin of, of events. And, and perhaps that's, we should fault the Trump administration. Maybe they're just not good at uh, spinning, spinning the media, but I think it has a whole lot more to do with the media's hostility to this man. And uh, no matter what he does or what he accomplishes, they will, uh, you know, go after him. And Bill, you know, I don't know why, uh, because here is a story that probably should be dominating the headlines again still today. And everybody in Washington has already forgotten that it even happened, and they've pivoted mm. back to impeachment and other matters. So, I mean, it just goes to show uh, how quickly they will resort to, to that. And I, this is what I don't like about journalism today, uh, particularly the Washington press corps, is there's such a pack mentality that they all travel in the same pack. And if one is doing a story on impeachment, they all go down that same, same uh, rabbit hole. And I think it's uh, unfortunate. It's one of the reasons we created the Daily Signal, in fact, because we wanted to tell the stories that go underreported and the, the news that gets ignored by the mainstream media. And I think that's why we've been able to grow an audience. I'm sure it's why 
faith radio has been able to, to you know, grow an audience as well because people are, are seeking out alternative sources and uh, different ways to get their news and information. Yeah, so true, Rob. I mean, both sides of the aisle should have looked at the justice brought to Baghdadi as a win. They just can't. Oh, right. They can't give the president that win, though, can they? They can't. I mean, you have this Washington Post columnist, Max Boot, uh, coming out and criticizing the president for, for calling Baghdadi a coward, saying that it wasn't a cowardly act for him to, to kill himself and three mm. of his children. Yeah. I mean, you just have to – you're left scratching your head. What, what are these people thinking? I mean, are they living in an alternative world? Um, I, I just don't understand it. And and for them to actually publish this under their own name is another thing. I mean, it's not just scoring cheap political points here. Uh, of course, Joe Biden was out there uh, making comments today saying that, uh, that Trump made the mission more difficult by his decision to remove troops from uh, the Syrian-Turkish border. And, and of course, the vice president immediately struck back on that. So, yeah, at a time when it seems that uh, we should just be uh, very, very thankful that this uh, dangerous terrorist is uh, is no longer able to uh, you know, do do damage and destruction in the, in this world of ours. Uh, instead, we have to, to squabble and fight uh, because we don't uh, necessarily agree with uh, the man who who was able to take him out and the and the military that he's commanding. So, I, I don't know, Bill. Um, I, I think it's uh, one of those things where foreign policy achievements used to bring the, this country together, and it seems it's even uh, quite divisive when it comes to those. Yeah, I don't want to keep harboring uh, on this this character, but I, I do want to. Uh point out that, I mean, he was absolutely barbaric. I mean, bin Laden would, would orchestrate uh, death, but n- nothing like Baghdadi did. I mean, he would order incredible barbaric torturing. And I mean, his last uh, hour on earth, he was using children to shield himself. Uh, right. It's, it's just, not, it is unbelievable. It, it certainly is. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I It's incredible to think that, uh, you know, well, look, I think the Washington Post's correction in response to their own headline says it best. I mean, the the, the Post's own journalists put their own lives at risk to cover the atrocities carried out by Baghdadi. And I think that's why some in that own newsroom were were appalled by uh, the the Post's behavior in this situation. But, you know, it's one of those things where perhaps – uh, we we just don't have a firm grasp of what's what's going on in this world. I mean, it is. I I don't I don't I don't truly understand how we can educate the American people more about what a different reality it is uh, in the Middle East in a place like Syria where he's carrying out or was carrying out these these horrible atrocities against uh, people. Um, you know, sometimes when we're divorced from that and we don't necessarily. See it every day. I mean, you and I live in the news business, so I think we're probably exposed to it maybe more than than most. But uh, yeah, you would think that people who are in politics would have a greater appreciation and recognition for that. And of course, uh, you know, uh, w- here we are. We we heard everything from the uh, Situation Room photo was staged to Nancy Pelosi being upset that she wasn't tipped off about this. And and you're thinking, can we just? Take a pause for a moment and think about the significance of what the mission just accomplished. And by the way, how about those brave men and women who uh, were on that special forces team that that, that took them out and and risked their own lives to protect so many uh, so many others uh, yeah. from the danger that he he possessed. Yeah, amen to that. And then uh, Conan, the the, the the amazing dog too. That was a very cute shot of Conan the dog. Yes, that absolutely was. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you know another social media star now. Right, right. <laughs> So America, the great experiment, I mean, I certainly hope we don't uh, give up our freedom because we have fought so uh, 
brilliantly for it, but it seems that one in three millennials right now uh, are attracted to communism. That's right. Well, you know, it's one of those things we've seen in uh, in recent surveys, and a new one uh, confirms that that is uh, that is the case. Uh, this one came from the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, which is a great organization. Uh, they partnered with uh, YouGov, and they found that 70% of millennials are more likely to vote socialist, and that you're right, one in three of them perceive communism as favorable. Bill, I think it's one of those things where when it comes to educating our youth, uh, we're either simply not talking about some of the horrors that took place uh, under communism. We don't necessarily understand what uh, it means by, by, by socialism. But here's the truth. Uh, 100 million people on this earth were murdered because mm. of communist regime, yeah. uh, if, whether it was in, in, in the Soviet Union or whether it was in China. Uh, Communism has brought about uh, tremendous amounts of, of death and suffering at the hands of people all across this globe, and we shouldn't forget that. Uh, we, we, sh- we absolutely should not. And I think it's important that those of us who have children, uh, we take it into our own hands and make sure that they're aware of, of what communism and socialism really mean. When Bernie Sanders talks about socialism, he's not talking about the socialism that, uh, that he would like us to believe. The Scandinavian countries are not socialist. They're actually have freer markets than the United States, believe it or not. Hmm. Um, and so, so Denmark is, is not an example that you can point to as a legitimate socialist country. And so we, uh, we shouldn't be fooled by, by those comparisons. What, what they mean is actually something much more drastic uh, in terms of the government taking over control of our lives. And we've seen in other societies what that has meant. It's meant uh, the, the death and suffering of people uh, under those regimes. Mm-hmm. Haven't we always want, wanted a, a limited government, isn't it? That always been the goal of the founders. Well, that was certainly a goal. You absolutely, you better believe it was. In fact, you know, one of the things that we did at our, our meeting last week was we unveiled uh, the Heritage Foundation's True North Principles of Conservatism, and there are 14 principles. Um, your listeners can find them at heritage.org. And one of the things that uh, is highlighted prominently is that the federal government's powers were supposed to be limited to those in the Constitution, and they should only be used uh, to protect the citizens of this great nation. So, yes, there is a role for the federal government, uh, particularly when it comes to protecting citizens, but all of those other powers should really be diverged, you know, through federalism to the states or local governments, and this is why we don't, you know, conservatives have long opposed to having a Department of Education. We felt that, you know, that wasn't the proper role of the federal government. Those decisions should be made on a more local level, and I think when you have this federal control you have situations like a decline in civics education, which is why you've seen some states like Arizona move to implement it, because they want to make sure that uh, the kids today are being taught these lessons from the founders and not necessarily reading Howard Zinn and uh, alternative histories of the uh, United States. Mm-hmm. Rob Louie is my guest, and when he comes on the show, my IQ goes up. And at the end of the interview, my IQ goes back down to where it started. We'll take a little break and be right back with Rob. Rob Louie on the line. He is my guest and he is the executive editor of the Daily Signal and I certainly hope you go to dailysignal.com and enjoy that website and all the brilliant writing that is over there. Rob, I hear all the time about Medicare for all, Medicare for all. I don't think um, that's a workable plan, is it? 
<laughs> well, it's uh, it certainly has its challenges, and uh, and one of our, our daily signal writers, Kevin Pham, says uh, it's it's actually <laughs> Medicare for all uh, isn't Medicare at all. It's uh, <laughs> it's a complete distortion of 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 what it is. Uh, what what you're hearing? Well, I mean, first of all, Bill, we should acknowledge that there's there's not consensus uh, among uh, the Democrats or even the left on this issue. I mean, m- maybe the hardcore left, but you you've increasingly seen Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg and others attack uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders for coming out and making some of the the declarations that they have about Medicare for all, because I think that they recognize the the vast majority of American people are not going to end up uh, liking the system that uh, that that if this were implemented. Um, and so there is division um, on the other side of, of the aisle uh, when it comes to this issue. And, and the fact of the matter is that there are finally Republicans in Congress putting forward this issue. In fact, on Thursday more, Thursday afternoon, we're going to, to feature a couple of them from the Republican Study Committee, uh, Ch- Chairman Mike Johnson and uh, Congressman Roger Marshall, who have come out with their own form of a health care reform plan in an effort to re- unite Republicans around a set of principles and ideas uh, that they can finally hopefully pursue in a way that's, uh, that, that's you know, uh, effective in countering some of the excitement that we've seen among young people for Medicare for All. I don't think people necessarily understand all that goes into it. And basically what it comes down to, Bill, is a loss of freedom and control, uh, essentially going back to what we were just talking about in terms of giving the state more power. Uh, this is what you would do under a system like that. Mm-hmm. Rob, how do you understand the infrastructure to take on Medicare for All? You can't put a you know, you can't force someone to go to medical school and become a doctor and work uh, 80 hours a week, can you? No, you can't. And, and of course, we already know that there are, are doctor shortages. We we know about the challenges with Medicaid, another, another government-run program. Uh, many, you know, doctors simply won't uh, won't accept Medicaid patients because the reimbursement rates are, are so low. So, you know, there are already existing challenges. Look at look at the VA system, mm-hmm. Veterans Affairs. I mean, veterans are regularly complaining about uh, the, the the level of service that they receive um, from VA hospitals. So uh, there's there's no doubt in my mind that you would face all sorts of challenges in trying to implement this. Uh, just as uh, look what happened, Obamacare was uh, you know n- nothing near uh, as significant as what a Medicare for all is. And look at all of the challenges that we saw there with premium spiking people losing their plans, um, all sorts of things that uh, President Obama said wouldn't happen ended up playing out the exact opposite. So, yes, uh, anytime the government tinkers in, in the market like this, I, I think you're asking for trouble. And, uh, and what can conservatives do? What, you know, what, can, uh, what can we say? I mean, I think it's important that we point out that there are alternatives and better ways to go about doing this. And ultimately, personally, I think a lot of it comes down to personal responsibility. Um, it, it, what, what more do you care about than your own health? And mm-hmm. so why, w- why would you want some government bureaucrat to be in charge of making those decisions? You yourself or your family should be the ones who are in control. Yeah. Rob, I know your history is better than mine. How far back do we go to a universal health uh, plan um, agenda? How, is it 25, 30 years they've been pushing for this? Well, I, I think you could probably, I mean, I think that there were early dreams of this probably under Woodrow Wilson and, okay. and Franklin Delano Roosevelt, where, where you really started to see it being implemented in government, of course, was through the Great Society of Lyndon Baines Johnson. So that's when you saw the introduction of Medicare and Medicaid, um, and then you saw an expansion of that uh, in, in the decades that, that followed, uh, particularly under Bill Clinton, who expanded it uh, you know, through to, to children, uh, through the Children's Health Insurance Program, and then, of course, Barack Obama. So every Democratic administration has in some way tried to expand the role of health care 
at the at the level of the federal government. Um, you have an interesting situation with Trump because, of course, one of his first priorities was to undo Obamacare. He failed in in doing that. Of course, John McCain making the symbolic um, thumbs down and uh, and that plan uh, not moving out of the Senate. And so the Trump administration has been left figuring out what to do from an executive branch level uh, in terms of how to how to handle this program. And and I heard one report uh, last week saying that the uh, the Trump administration has actually done a better job of, uh, of of trying to implement Obamacare than even Obama. The man who was uh, who was named uh, after the law, uh, you know. So it's um, it's one of those things where it's it's a tricky situation. I think at the end of the day, uh, my my preference would be to get the government entirely out. But uh, you know, I, uh, I I think you need the votes to do that. And right now, there's just not not the appetite in Congress to do that. And uh, and you need to have uh, elections do have consequences, Bill. And this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Now, the generation that's enjoying Medicare and Medicaid, they they did so by paying into it for forty plus years. Sure. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, right. And we have this, this same conversation about Social Security, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of those things where, you know, if, if these the entitlement programs are, are what's driving uh, the massive debt that, that this country is facing, $22 trillion in debt. Wow. Uh, we're, we're going to have another debate over spending. And again, there's going to be no appetite to cut the entitlement programs uh, like, like Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid. And there needs to be structural reforms to those programs if they're going to survive into the long term. I just don't feel that there's there's the commitment to do that. I mean, the president, this president has said directly that he's not going to touch them. I mean, so um, I, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of those areas where I, I think that there's frustration among those who are, are budget hawks and, and and keeping a close eye on our nation's finances that the president hasn't been willing to do do more on this this issue. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, look, this was a promise that he made, and I feel like he he thinks that it's helped him get elected uh, among a certain constituency out there who who doesn't want to see their benefits touched. Yeah, Rob, if my checking account was $22 trillion over, I think I'd be getting those overdraft notices like every five minutes. Oh, I, I'm sure I'm sure you would. But, uh, you know, look, this is <laughs> this is one of those issues uh, where uh, it, it were it tends to work when you have a Democrat in the White House and Republicans in control of Congress. Mm-hmm. Look at what happened when Bill Clinton was in the White House and, and Newt Gingrich came into power. They balanced the budget, right? Because yeah. Republicans in Congress held held the purse strings and they they constrained spending. The same things ha- happened after the Tea Party wave swept Republicans into office in 2010. They got Obama to make some some spending cuts. It doesn't seem to work as well. We we did, look at George W. Bush. I mean, spending grew. Look at Donald Trump. Spending grew. So the Democrats aren't going to constrain spending in Congress. You better believe that. So uh, it really is dependent on conservatives in Congress. Congress to be the ones holding the line. All right, Rob, this story is so gut-wrenching, but I do want to talk about it. There is a, a family in Texas caught in a, in a gender conflict over their seven-year-old boy, and I don't know if you have an update on that or can tell our listeners a little bit more about that. Well, it's, it, first of all, I think it's it's so sad. Um, you know, we, we, we've talked about, uh, you know, my kids. I, ha- I have a seven-year-old boy m- myself. Right. And I mean, I, I think about this story and I think about my own family, and I just can't believe that anyone would put uh, a child in this type of situation. It's, um, it's, it's you know, uh, truly sad, uh, Bill. And uh, I think it just goes to, sh- to show um, how far as a culture we've, we've moved uh, on this particular issue. Uh, I think it's important why 
we need to you know speak up and and point out what we think is wrong in this situation. It seems that the corporations and a lot of politicians are unafraid to do so or are kowtowing to the other side. Um, so in this case, I mean, uh, yes, we're we're continuing to to follow it. I don't necessarily have have the latest breaking news on it, but you're you're absolutely correct that it is a um, it is a situation that I think we'll continue to see play out uh, in, in other cases. Uh, my understanding is that this is the um, uh, not the this is the adoptive parent who's who's pushing uh, the the child in this direction and not the biological parent. On faith um, so radio, I think that that's a factor at play here, and I think that in a situation like this, you have government actors who want to step in and. Intelligent, talented, and good-looking guest coming on the program is a friend. We've done a lot of prison ministry together with over the years. He's an author and internationally known communicator. He hosts both radio and TV. He's also a professional drummer. He's had a syndicated radio program called Real Answers, heard on more than 800 stations daily. And he, uh, he loves to speak to young kids, and he does that at conferences and schools all around the world. He's written 18 books. The, including the Bible Promise Book for Teens. I love it. And he's also written a book called Fear No Evil. And as we get close to uh, Halloween, I think it's probably a good time to check in with Steve. Steve Russo is my guest. Steve, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Yeah, we're at that uh, time of year, and I don't know what it is with teens and their incredible infatuation <laughs> with darkness and evil. I think it's not just teens. I think it's everybody, but I think it it shows up more in teens and young adults. It's just you know what I think it is. Um, in one sense, it's power. Um, darkness and evil has that. It's got that intrigue. That there maybe there's something here. There's an unusual power, and what I find is kids today are looking for power to change their lives. Yeah. Um, Boy. You know, power to get vengeance sometimes over somebody that's hurt them, um, and power to feel special. Yeah, Steve, I think you just nailed it. That's really interesting. They are looking for something to belong to and some power to have, aren't they? They really are. I mean, it, it's it, adults are too, but I think we see it more in kids today. And and um, you know, I'm grateful that I have a chance to to be able to connect with them and engage them and influence them because um, there is power. Uh, we know the source of the power that they're looking for and they want and they need, um, but it, they're not seeing it, unfortunately, that way. And, of course, um, days like Halloween seem to offer something that um, – some kind of power, a false power, but it still intrigues them. So, um, you know, we need to be able – we need to be ready to give answers, but we need to find a way to give them those answers in, in a way that they accept. Mm-hmm. So, Steve, when you think about the teenagers and their interest in supernatural things, um, what what is causing them to want to, to dabble in practices and to take risks that I'm sure make their parents crazy? Um, this isn't going to settle well, I think, with some of our listeners, but sure. I think... Um, I'll say it just because I spend so much time with kids. Um, they don't see the church, the Christian faith, um, as relevant anymore. It's it, it's like it. They're not 
there's a disconnect somewhere somehow um, and so they're willing there's so much information coming at them you know new studies revealing that they're spending that much more time on their phones but it's really not a phone it's a computer and mm-hmm. You know, it it allows them just incredible access to an enormous amount of information that they can't possibly begin to filter and process. So they're willing to take risks. They're willing to um, dabble, if you will have it. That's probably not the best word, but they're willing to just kind of investigate and dabble and see what's out there. And there's that intrigue. And um, they see... Somehow, you know, they over the course of time, they've rejected um, the faith of their parents. Um, new studies are coming out, you know, frequently. I think it was Gallup or Pew recently that said that that young people are just saying no to the church and they're saying the Bible isn't relevant. So what else is? What? Where is there that power? Where's that? I'm willing to run the risk. I'm, you know, I mean, young people have always wanted to do crazy things, but I think it's even more now, you know, pushing the envelope even further out, getting out to the edge and sometimes over the edge. Um, you know, that's part of, of the the rite of passage, but I think it's been fueled differently with this generation. Mm-hmm. Steve, has the appetite for things like horror movies and witchcraft and all that, has that pretty much stayed the same or has there been an increase? Because, I mean, horror movies have been around forever. Yeah, they really have. What's interesting is the, the way they've changed. I mean, you can go back to, you know, the 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 original ones way back, you know, the black and white ones and the Frankenstein and the Dracula and the werewolf, you know, yeah. and, and I mean, first of all, nobody's big enough, you know, as, as Frankenstein and, and, you know, you could, you could kind of laugh it off almost, but, you know, we've got the slasher films, we've got the walking dead, we've got, you know, and what has happened is we have gradually become desensitized to evil. Hmm. We've been been desensitized to uh, truth. There is no absolute truth anymore. And so we've opened ourselves up, and, and Gen Z is a good example of that, um, to some of these things that, that just it wouldn't be done. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have been done by a previous generation, but the problem is when they're surrounded by it. Um, and I'm not saying, I, I, in no way do I want to, bash Hollywood. I think it's, I think that's an, an easy scapegoat. Well, let's just blame Hollywood and video games. And, and well, no, no, there's more to it than that, you know? Um, and kids are, are, um, they're the most connected, informed generation, but they're the most lonely generation as well. Mm-hmm. Now, Halloween coming up on Thursday, uh, people will spend almost $9 billion on one day. That seems it, staggering. It's crazy. Yeah, it yeah. is just absolutely crazy. I mean, I, if the the studies still hold, I think it's uh, second only to Christmas as far as expense for decoration and costumes. And, and the interesting thing to me, like I was just in a, a credit union last Friday and here in Southern California, and they had decorated the whole place for Halloween. Hmm. I mean, there was pumpkins and there was, you know... Uh, cobwebs and and you know on and on and on and and each teller had like a big bucket filled with candy and it had their name on it and uh, they were not dressed in costume i don't know if they will be on halloween um but i thought wow somebody's put a lot of time and energy they were 
not only giving out candy, but they were giving out fresh popcorn, you know, and you walk in and you smell that, go, I've got to have it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, but I asked the teller, I said, I just mentioned the company, I said, wow, this is really interesting how much decorating you guys have done. And, and she was kind of apprehensive, like, okay, what is this guy really? And she kind of gave that kind of a comment back to me. And I said, it looks like you guys put a lot of time and energy. And I said, was it fun? She goes, oh, absolutely. We had the greatest time. She goes, everybody getting together, you know, colleagues and coworkers. And we're just, and I thought, you know, this, this woman is not connecting this day to Satan. Mm-hmm. And to the occult, and to her, it's a ho- it's another day, and it has become. It used to be a children's holiday, really, by and large, and it has become um, a big holiday for for adults. I mean, people dressing up and parties, and you know, on and on and on. So it's, um, I think it's that desensitization in general, mm-hmm. uh, where evil is accepted and. You know, slasher movies are accepted, and violence is accepted, and we see um, kids resorting to violence to deal with their anger and their frustration. And um, I mean, it's interesting because I do a lot of speaking on public school campuses, and that's increasing even more now. I do an assembly called Choices and bring my drums in and so on. And the request now, number one request is come in and talk about bullying, help us with bullying. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's anger. We have a generation that is is aghast in anger, but they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to, what do I do with my anger for this person? What do I, or this situation? And I think part of that problem is they don't see how their parents or grandparents handle anger because there's a disconnect. And of course they see angry things in, you know, film and in music and, and so on, but uh, games, video games, but, but we can't blame, you know, it's easy to use the, all that as a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just like, uh, I was given, uh, we have a psychologist that is on our Utah radio show with us, Dr. Josh. And, and we were talking about school shootings and he goes, the misnomer is that it's a mental health issue. And he gave me a study that's been buried in 95% of the school shootings are a result of mismanaged anger, 5% mental health issues. Wow. Wow, that's it, shocking, Steve. It is. You know, yeah. it's absolutely shocking. It's it's a legitimate study, It's, but it's interesting that it's been buried, um, and, and maybe because we don't know how to help people manage their anger, mm-hmm. you know? Um, isn't, I don't know. Isn't anger a byproduct of something, too? I mean, aren't you just horribly frustrated and... If you stay frustrated long enough, you're going to just become angry. I mean, yep. those, these kids' lives are not going the way they wanted. They didn't get the person to date they wanted. They didn't get, you know, the thumbs up on their in their Instagram account. I don't know. It seems like they're they're just frustrated on top of everything. They really are. They're they're very very frustrated, you know. And and I think we've made a mistake in in continuing to do a lot of presentations to kids instead of having conversation. And and we we tried something, um, I don't know if I've been on your show since then, but uh, last school year, the beginning of last school year, a year ago, we had four, three high school students and one middle school student kill themselves in the first 10 days of school. Wow. In wow. the same district. And it was just 
it was everybody is like, what is going on? It's the you know same school district. It's the same area. You know, and um, interesting, I called the, the district offices and I said, hey, I want to offer, you know, is there anything we can do to help? And and uh, the district superintendent's assistant said, oh, you're the school assembly guy and the radio guy and the book guy. And I said, yeah, that's me, guilty, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, what can we do to help? We're here. And she goes, oh, you know, we've got to cover it. Don't worry about it. And I'm going, don't worry about it. You said four kids kill themselves in 10 days and, and you got it covered? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, not working. So anyway... Short end of the story, we decided to do two conversations, we called them, one for students and one for parents, a week apart. And there was no agenda other than have conversation. Um, And it was very hard uh, for local church people to accept because we didn't have a praise band and nobody was preaching. We just listened. We had conversation. Now, we were directing the conversation, me and my co-host for our show, You Talk. Um, and it was weird because these kids, when they found out they that we would listen and they could trust us and we cared about them, they talked nonstop for two hours. It was wow. It was unbelievable. And now we were guiding the conversation. We were you know, kind of leading them to come to conclusions we wanted them to come to that we knew would help them, but we didn't give it to them. We had them own it. But I'll never forget the statement of one one little gal, 16, and she said, you know, Steve, I love Jesus. I go to church. And she goes, I am sick and tired of being told, just read your Bible and pray and everything will be totally fine. She said, I need somebody to walk through life with me. Oh, that's amazing, Steve. And I went, bingo, you know, I mean, that, that's it. That's, you know, it's, you know, they're frustrated. Okay. How do they handle frustration? Well, maybe somebody could walk through and help them unpack it. How do they handle anger? How do, you know, all of those things, you know, um, how do, how do they come to the realization that having, you know, umpteen number of, of likes on Instagram, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, or snap or whatever, you know, it, it really isn't that meaningful, you know, and, and the simplistic answers I think need to go away. And I think again, coming, I heard somebody on an, another radio broadcast last week, they were asked about bullying and this guy's solution was kids just need to walk away and glorify God. Really? Mm. Really? How do you walk away from 24 seven when it's on social? Yeah. You know, yeah, it, exactly. It, it, you know, you that that's overly that sounds really ethereal and spiritual, but it that's that's not practical, you know. And and coming back again full circle to this day, October thirty first, it's like, okay, I need some power somewhere. I gotta get some resolve. I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm hurt, I'm you know maybe there's something in a different dimension, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there's something it's it's curiosity, you know, and it's um in one sense Healthy curiosity is good if it's directed in the right way, in the right you know direction, and where there can be again. I think that thing, the, that phrase that little girl said, somebody to walk through life with me. Wow, that's powerful, Steve. Let me take a little break. Uh, right before I leave, leave for break here, I need to take, I need to go back to the credit union that was decorated, and I'm more interested in knowing if you got the loan. Actually, I was making a deposit. Oh, okay. All right. That's even better. All right. Steve Russo is my guest, uh, author of 18 books. We're chatting about uh, Fear No Evil. We'll be right back.
I'm back with Steve Russo. He's a radio TV host, professional drummer. He has uh, written 18 books. He loves talking to kids. And I love the fact that you are so investing in them because they need a lot of uh, investing, don't they, Steve? They really do. And, you know, it's it's I have hope um, with this generation. I think I, um, we have uh, uh, we've started a new dimension for our ministry and in having interns with us. Um, and I love it. I, you know, to have, I mean, our demographic for what we do is 14 to 24 roughly. And, uh, we actually, this week we'll launch uh, you talk TV, nice. which we're really excited about. You know, it's, uh, there'll be, uh, they're 25 minute, you know, TV episodes that right now will be on, uh, you know, they can, on, they can stream it and next kind of thing. But to have these, Guy, we've got two guys right now. We had uh, two girls and a guy last semester, and it's just so refreshing. And it's, you know, um, to, we had a production meeting yesterday because we're filming season three um, in December, and to see the integrity of these guys and the passion, and you know, it's um, it, it's encouraging because I think um, kids are looking for answers, you know, and. And, um, you know, if we can just reach out to them and find a way to connect with them and, and, uh, I mean, like, like Halloween, okay, we start, we actually started, we didn't do one this year, but we've done them in the past, uh, an outreach for teenagers called the real answers Halloween experience. And it, it was in a response to, um, kids here in the area going, Hey, Steve, how come we can't trick or treat? Well, you're six foot five inches tall you know you're scaring the neighbors yeah. and so several years ago we threw this thing together literally it took us you know we had two weeks to do it and we had this the first real answers halloween experience and we had music and we had we gave away candy and prizes and and um you know we had some fun things going on and then gave an opportunity for kids to receive christ and we had it in a, a, a church in the area and we had about 250 kids and i think there was somewhere around 30 or 40 kids that received christ wow um, awesome you know, and it was so fun. It was just, but it was something, I know a lot of churches do trunk or treat and things like that, which is great. But what we've discovered is there's there's the gap for teens and young adults. There isn't anything for them to do. And you could say, well, they don't, they shouldn't be doing anything. Well, you know, it's such a huge thing. Why not take advantage of this day and their curiosity and, um, it's become a. Um, we want to do another one in 2020. I mean, we were doing one in uh, Florida a few years ago, and we let kids come in costumes, but we f- we kind of filter the costumes. And um, some of our people will stand at the door and say, you know, that's not appropriate. Could you go back and change? You know, and it's funny. For the most part, we don't get any rebuff. But um, I remember we had four guys that were dressed as the misfits, which are not the most pleasant costumes, but, you know, my guys decided to let them in anyway, and um, they're just glued to what I'm saying. Not that it's me, it's the Spirit of God saying it as I'm unpacking the gospel. And um, one of the guys takes his mask off, and the other guys go, what are you doing? He goes, I want what Russo's offering, man. This wow. is, I, I need God. And, you, Bill, what a great illustration of taking the mask off. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. um, that's what we want. And then um, one of the guy, one of the four left, he kind of stormed out, and the other three came forward to receive Christ. Wow. And it's like, you know, it, it's it, we're not 
worshiping the devil. We're not. We're just taking advantage of another opportunity, a day. Um, you know, and if you know the history of Halloween, you have to say, wait a minute. There's this is this is interesting. I mean, way back in history, it was. Um, if you want to just look at the quote holiday of it, it was a, a children's prank day. You know, kids. It was known as Halloween was the day to go out and pull pranks on people. You know, and if you don't um, don't give me something, you know, good, then I'm going to pull a prank on you. And, and literally in the 1930s, it had gotten so far out of control. Some civic leaders, I believe, on the East Coast is where it started, said we got to pull the we got to rein this thing in. It's destructive. It's harmful. Kids need to have fun. Okay, tell you what, you know, neighborhood, let's uh, everybody have some candy and let's let kids. So there's the trick or treat. Now, obviously, it's, you know, it's morphed into other things. We also have a very dark, uh, a lot of darkness in our culture, which has affected this. But it's it's that innocence, really, that um, is now missing. And, and I know there's a lot of opinions in um, the church today about this. And, you know, I think we have to respect each other and and agree to disagree. I've had some people say, well, hey, um, I don't have anything to do with the day. I've had some go to the extreme and say, you know, we lock the house down, we go in the basement, we pray that, you know, evil will not come upon our house during this day, and I wish we could rip this day off the calendar. Well, the psalmist said, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So um, I think we have, why not take advantage of this day, you know, and um, turn the light on. It's a a great encouragement. I know uh, many feel mixed feelings about it. I mean, the Christians think, well, should we, how should we participate? I think you kind of gave a really nice answer, Steve. It's why don't we take advantage of it as best we can? Well, thanks, Bill. It, it's and again, I respect somebody who says I don't want anything to do with stay. That's fine, and mm-hmm. I don't know their history. And I, you know, there could have been, you know, things happen in their life. But, but it's we don't have to. And I'm not in any way saying let's celebrate what Halloween has come to represent. Right. But in reality, in church history, we have every reason to celebrate the 31st of October because that was a day in 1517 when Martin Luther tacked his 95 Thesis on the the door of All Saints Church, thus starting the Protestant Reformation. Um, You know, I mean, it's it's really something we should be talking about, but we don't. I have a – she's actually not on staff anymore, an older lady who's now battling cancer, but Annette used, used to tell us she remembered as a child her church having Reformation Day parties. Wow. And, you know, I thought, again, I'm not saying that's what we have to do, but it's another, think of options, you know, in, and we're not celebrating. We don't have to celebrate what it represents, but we can celebrate who our God is. We can celebrate the light and we can find ways to introduce it, you know, uh, introduce people to him. I mean, there's, uh, we talked about the alternative we do, you know, with our Halloween experience. Um, there's trunk or treat kind of things for younger kids. Um, there are harvest festivals. Um, it could be a family night, really, you know, get your family together and you say, well, we're going to do something different. We're going to, you know, make our own pizzas or, you know, have, and I think more and more families really need to reconnect like that, put the phones away and um, have time together. 
reverse door-to-door evangelism. You know, what about having a table, you know, on your porch or inside your door where parents could get a cup of cocoa or coffee or cider and kids uh, get, you know, candy and um, give away, give some, you know, some uh, tracks that, um, you know, would get somebody's attention and, and talk about who God is, or there's there's something you know different out there for you. You know, um, it's a I think it's a great opportunity to connect with neighbors and and to engage them and open the door to uh, some conversation, which could turn to a spiritual conversation. So it's um, you know it's I, I think just open your mind and and say let's think outside the box. What could we do? Yeah. Um, Steve, just remind the listeners where they would connect with some of your great resources that you've got coming out. Um, oh, be, thanks, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> three, three websites. Um, one is realanswers.com, R-E-A-L, answers, plural, dot com. And then uh, utalkradio.com, the letter U, talkradio.com. And that's where they can uh, catch our um, – our podcast show, and that's where we'll have information on the new TV show. And then there is steverusso.com. That's Steve with R-U-S-S-O dot com. And that's where you can get information on our Choices School Assembly and and, um, what we're doing in schools. And uh, we want to be a resource. You know, we want to be a help. Um, You know, God has given us uh, some unique opportunities and um, I think a unique mindset to connect with and engage this generation. And so we just want to partner. You yeah. know, we want to be here as that resource. I forget how much I enjoy talking to you. Let's do this again. Oh, absolutely. Anytime, Bill. It's okay. always fun. Anytime. Yeah. I, I love doing it. I appreciate the invitation. I appreciate what you're doing. And um, it's always good conversation. And that's, um, wow. Thanks. Beat that, so. All yeah. right. <laughs> Steve Russo has been my guest. We'll take a short break, and we'll be back with Hour 2 in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.